We are in week three of our 2019 At The Movies series. It's always a lot of fun to do the At The Movies series. We just use popular movies as a springboard to get into the more important stuff, which is God's Word. And we got a theme this year, it's the fight. And so we're just basically taking this idea of movies that are themed around uh, battles and wars and fights and fighters and warriors, and, but using it to peel back the curtain and look at the spiritual war that goes on in our lives and how we can stand up in the fight. So we've had a fun time looking at a few movies already. We looked, we met uh, in week one, The Italian Stallion. We met Rocky uh, and we learned about the armor of God and just what it means to gear up and get ready to go for this thing in our life that is spiritual battle. Uh, last week, Patrick was on stage. He introduced us to William Wallace and he told us about freedom. Actually, what he told us about was finding your, uh, just your calling, like the thing that you would live for, that you would die for. He called it uh, your divine calls. And so uh, we talked about that and this fight that we're in. Today, we're going to get into some ancient history, like way back, okay? We're going to go into one of the greatest cultures that ever lived, the Roman Empire, and we're going to visit the epic story from the movie Gladiator. Uh, any Gladiator fans in the house? Yes, I love Gladiator. Uh, Russell Crowe's one of my favorite actors, so I really enjoy the movie. Gladiator came out in the year 2000. Do you realize that was almost 20 years ago? What? <laughs> it just went right by. Uh, and man, but uh, if you haven't seen it, I want to give you a quick summary, okay? This, this is the movie Gladiator in a couple of minutes. First of all, I got to introduce you to our main guy, played by Russell Crowe. This is Maximus Decimus Meridius. And uh, super Latin name. Uh, and he's basically, when we first meet him, he is a, a general in the Roman army. He is a warrior. He's a hero of the Roman people. He's a stud. He's got, look at him. He's a stud, man. Could any of you guys pull that off? The answer is no. Can Russell Crowe? Yes. And so that's how that works. He's a stud. Uh, I want to introduce you to Maximus, and I want to always love showing a film, a clip from the film when we get a chance. The reality of this movie is that it's pretty violent, and there aren't very many clips I can show uh, because we got kids in the room and people who have weak stomachs, but this one's good. This is the opener of the movie, and we get a picture of the type of person, the type of leader that Maximus is. Let's meet him real quick. Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. If you find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you're already dead. <laughs> Brothers, what we do in life, Echoes in eternity. Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Um, so this is the scene where Maximus is about to go and he's about to fight the Germanians and things go pretty good at this battle. They win. And you see a picture of the type of life of, of leadership and respect that this guy has. But then things start to go south for Maximus. In uh, a few days later, the wise and beloved emperor is murdered, and he is replaced by his insane, egomaniac son. Uh, I want to introduce you to him. His name is Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin, that's a good name. And he is like the ultimate villain. This guy's a jerk, okay? So kids, don't be like this guy, okay? 
this guy is a mean, mean dude, and um, Commodus here does the unthinkable. He feels threatened by Maximus. So he gives the orders to have Maximus and his family executed. But Maximus is a stud. Maximus isn't about to be executed, no sir. (laughs) He fights his way out, he gets free, and he finds out that his family has been killed by Commodus' people. So he sets off on a mission, and his mission is, in one word, simply revenge. Revenge. I gotta get revenge on Commodus, who took away all my joy. But before he can do too much, he's picked up by some slave traders. In fact, uh, because he bears the mark of the the Roman uh, army, it looks like he's a traitor. So they pick him up as a traitor. He becomes a slave, and his whole plan of revenge gets a wrench thrown in it. Uh, It's ironic, actually, because he's like this great general that everyone respects, but these guys just, they're like, prove it. And he can't. So he becomes a slave, and the slave traders move him from place to place, and eventually someone has the idea to train him as a gladiator. Now, I don't know if you know much about gladiators, but gladiators were a really mixed bag. It's, it's really weird because gladiators were actually slaves. They were not free people, but they were treated like professional athletes. The best ones were actually treated like famous celebrities. Uh, they had everything they needed except for they were slaves. The owner would take them from town to town, and he would fight them against other gladiators and against, you know, like wild beasts and things. Actually, this movie depicts that, you know, the gladiators often fought to the death and and they would from time to time, but a lot of historians think that probably it was more often that they wouldn't die because that would be a bad investment. So they would just fight against each other. They would reenact battles. It was a form of entertainment for the people. The people loved the blood, blood. They loved the violence. They loved the gore. And people would come out and turn out in hundreds and thousands to see them fight. Well, as it turns out, Maximus was good. Like, really good. Did I mention he's a stud? Like, this guy is just, like, whooping everybody's butt and taking names. But the thing is, he doesn't care. He didn't want to be a gladiator. And it, the, the greatest line in the whole movie has got to be this moment where he, he wins this battle, and he throws down his sword, and he says what? Are you not entertained? Because he's like, is this what you wanted? Is this what you just want to see some people fight? I'm over this. He wants to give up. The joy has been stolen from his life, and all he wants is revenge on the emperor who's hundreds and hundreds of miles away, and he just doesn't have access to that revenge. He's miserable in life. He misses and he mourns for his family. He detests what he has to do each day as a gladiator, and he harbors a burning hate for the man who took his joy, Commodus, until one day Maximus realizes that there's a chance that he could, because of his fame as a gladiator, possibly meet the emperor again. So his owner takes him to Rome, to the Colosseum. You guys have seen this. It's a, it's, a, it's a landmark on the globe. I mean, it's huge. In its heyday, it could house 50,000 plus people for entertainment, all kinds of different things that they did there. Maximus, turns out, is one of the most popular gladiators to fight in this arena. And the emperor comes to watch. In fact, he gets a nickname, the Spaniard. And so everyone's chanting for the Spaniard. And because of his fame, he comes to Commodus' attention, and they actually get to meet. And guess what? Commodus is blown away when he realizes that this famed gladiator is the old General Maximus that he thought was dead. What happens next? I'm not going to tell you. I don't want to spoil the movie for you. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, maybe you can. It's a great movie. I will say that it, uh, because of the violence, it totally earned its R rating, and so it's not for young children. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, but the things that it shows give us a picture of what 
the world was like at some points in history. Now, there's some things about this that are not true. This story is, is not based on a real person. Maximus was not a real person. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, though Commodus was a real person, he was an insane egomaniac emperor. He actually wished he was a gladiator. He dressed up as Hercules and would go fight uh, like small, lame animals in the in the arena and because he just needed that for his ego. But uh, he, he wasn't exactly what it was panned out to be. But there are some things that are true about the story. And the truest thing is the world in which it took place and the fact that I think that we are not much different than the people who lived back then. My guess is that you've probably never been enslaved and forced to become a gladiator. Anybody? Uh, no, no. So probably not, not real big these days, gladiator. No Craigslist entries for gladiators wanted. Maybe there are. I don't go to that page. I don't know. It's not for me. But, but odds are good. Here's the thing, that you have been hurt by somebody, that you have had joy stolen from your life, and that revenge has tasted sweet on your tongue. And that you've had moments in your life where you've had hate fuel you and that you have wanted to get back at somebody. It's from that place that I want to dive into the Bible today. Every week we look to the Bible for God's most important truth. So if you've got a Bible today, grab one. We've got some free ones we give away every week. There's some on this gray shelf by the door here. Or of course, look it up on your phone. And the text that I'll be reading will be on the screen behind me as well. but we're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to start out in chapter 18. So flip over. The book of Matthew is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus that we get in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that back third of our English Bibles. And I think what we're going to learn is, is this. We're going to take the story of the gladiator and we're going to turn it on his ear. We're going to turn it upside down. And basically, it's going to become the example of what not to do with our hate and our pain and our brokenness. Because I think we'll find that revenge is a dead-end road. It's not going to get us anywhere, but that God has a solution for us that may, may not only help deal with the issue, but allow us to find and have our joy restored. And so no matter where you've been hurt in your life, I think that when we lean in today and look at the text that Jesus is going to share with us today, that we're going to be able to find some healing and some hope in that. Um, and so we're going to be there. First starting out in Matthew chapter 18, we're going to meet a guy named Peter. Peter is one of the followers of Jesus. He becomes the leader of all of Jesus' disciples. But you got to know this about Peter. When we first met Peter, he was a complete social klutz. I mean, in terms of he was like just hothead, and he was always getting in trouble with Jesus for speaking out of turn. And, but he ends up kind of maturing and growing and watching and following the ways of Jesus and becoming one of the leaders of the early church, one of the very first evangelists and pastors that there were. And we have Peter here talking with Jesus in Matthew 18. And Peter's got this big question about forgiveness. Because he says, you know what, when we face this pain and this hurt from other people in our life, what is our solution? And Jesus says, forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is a word that I don't think we care much for. Uh, It's one of the F words in our society. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to talk about forgiving. I'd rather just hold on to my little anger and my little hate and just be here. But Jesus says, no. That's not going to get you anywhere. And this is where Peter has some questions about this. So we're going to look. Matthew 18, verse 21 starts us out. Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, this seems a little strange as a question to ask. And if you've seen this text before, you kind of see where Peter might be going. Jesus had spoken to the disciples about forgiveness in the past. 
And he said things like what we read, uh, you can flip over back to uh, Matthew 6, 14 through 15. This is what he said before. He said, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so I'm wondering if Peter has this relationship in his life. And maybe there was someone who was like always just hurting him. Maybe it was happening over and over again, or maybe it was just something that he was holding on to from the past. And Peter, here's Jesus talking. He's like, okay, 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 I get it. Forgiveness is pretty important. I get it. But like how much, Jesus? How, how many times do I forgive? It also helps us to know that at this time in culture, there was this kind of social courtesy that a lot of the Jews adhered to, and it was that you should try your best to forgive someone at least three times. Like, if they mess up, you should try to forgive them at least three times. Kind of, I mean, we, we semi-do that in our culture. We've got the three strikes and you're out thing that we steal from baseball, I guess. And, you know, it's like, you know, we'll give people a couple tries. And so I really think Peter here, he knows Jesus, and Jesus is always raising the bar on social standards. And he's like, okay, okay Jesus is always raising the bar. Society says three times. Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times, maybe? I mean, he ups the bar by more than double. But I bet he wasn't expecting Jesus' answer, verse 22. Jesus says, well, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. That's a lot of times. Uh, parents, you, you ever have to tell your kids something 77 times? No, because they're just going to be in the room with the door shut. That's just how that goes. Like, we're not, we're, we're past seven. Like, you know what I mean? And if someone really hurts you, 77, what? So Jesus normally does a really good job of illustrating his teaching by telling stories. And so that's what he's going to do here. And what we're going to do in the next few minutes is just read through a big teaching that he gives, a story that he tells that's going to illustrate this. If you've been in church long, you've heard this story. I want to encourage you. Turn off everything that you already know because you're an expert at the Bible. Turn that off. I had to do that with myself this week. And let's hear this with fresh ears. And if this is the first time you've heard this, this is teaching from Jesus about forgiveness. And it's pretty strong. So here we go. Starting at verse 23 now. Matthew 18, verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a king. When Jesus tells stories that involve a king, you should know it almost always, I think always, the king represents God in the story. So that'll set you up to kind of give you a little head start. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay that debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. The word forgiveness, the word itself forgiveness, defined means to cancel a debt. It's actually uh, like a finance term. It's, it's, you know, you paid off the loan, the debt has been forgiven. Forgiveness, okay? So it makes sense that Jesus would start out explaining forgiveness by telling a story that involved this guy owning like 10,000 bags of gold or so, a ton of money, okay? You, a million bucks as far as it is for you guys. You know, it's like, it's a lot of money. It's an amount of money that he couldn't pay back. It's just not going to happen. And he owes it and he begs for forgiveness and the, the, I love what the master does. He doesn't say, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll put you on you know, a 72-month, 2% financed loan, and you do your best. No, what does he do? It says he canceled the debt. Translation, forgiveness. The story continues. But when the servant went out, 
he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. I just want to put us in perspective. The amount that the first guy owed was a ton of money, a hundred silver coins, not so much. Okay, it's an amount that he could pay back if he worked a little bit. A hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But the first servant refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. So the first servant has just been forgiven a huge debt. He goes right outside. Maybe he's frustrated because he's like, man, why have I been such a bad steward of my money? Oh, there's Jim. Jim owes me money. And he goes up and like strangles the guy. Is like, pay me back what you owe me. Has no mercy, has no grace. The master called the servant in. Verse 32. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then Jesus gets to his point, verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. There it is again, forgiveness. Jesus takes forgiveness very seriously. In fact, it was his entire mission on the earth, forgiveness. Sometimes we watch movies like Gladiator and we make heroes, the, the, the narrative makes the hero for us and we pull for them. And we accidentally get on a bandwagon on an ideal like, man, you know what? Maximus, he should get revenge. Now here's, here's the deal. Um, <laughs> there is evil in the world and it needs to be stood up to, okay? I'm not saying that even what Maximus ends up doing in the movie and the revenge he has that is completely wrong. But there's a mentality that we have that I deserve to get a fight out of this. Like, I deserve revenge. The actual making right of the wrong is not wrong. In fact, there's ways God talks about making right, and we're gonna talk about it in a minute. But, but here's the thing that is a problem. Here's the thing that's a really big problem. It's when the darkness... And the tools of evil take over our heart, and they become what we live out. When we're driven by hate and jealousy and fear and revenge, when those things are the motor behind our actions, that's when we have a problem. And that's the number one thing that was driving Maximus to this movie. And listen, if you've been hurt and you've been damaged and you've been broken, which all of us have on some level, there's a good chance that we have probably allowed that mess to drive us to. It should make us want to stand up and fight. The bad things in the world should make us want to make things right. But God's got a bigger plan than just for us to be dominated by the evil forces in this world. His plan is forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? I've actually taught this next little section before a couple years ago. You might remember this. And I want to say that because I want you to know sometimes you just got to hear something again. In fact, as I was going through and trying to reinvent the wheel on this thing, I was like, no, I think the things that we, and I didn't make this up, I've, I've been taught it in other areas. We just need to hear some of the same things over again. I hope this is helpful for you. When we look at like what something is, sometimes one of the ways to start defining a word is to define what it's not. So I got three quick things of what forgiveness is not, okay? First of all, this is important. You need to know this because it's gonna help your conscience. Forgiveness is not forgetting. 
Forgiveness is not forgetting. We got this phrase, forgive and forget. Like, that's what Jesus told us to do. No, no, the Bible never tells us we have to forgive and forget. You know why? Because God knows that our brains are really good at remembering, and that's actually not a command. And sometimes the remembering saves us later. <laughs> you know, like, we, we, we can be wise and not make some of the same choices and the same relationships again. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. And sometimes we try to forget without forgiving. You ever done that? Let's just sweep it under the rug. No, 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 no. Sometimes things can be dealt with. Forgiveness is not forgetting. That's just a quick point. We'll move on. The second thing forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not kiss and make up. What do I mean by that? You might have grown up in a family that did this, okay? As long as everyone's smiling at the dinner table, we good, right? Like forgiveness is not like let's work out an issue. Forgiveness is like everybody at least pretending to be happy. Okay, no fault. And that's not healthy either. It's not healthy just to smile through it. I mean, we got to, sometimes you need to cry through it. Sometimes it's like snotty, ugly cry, you know, like, so it's not just kiss and make up. Uh, the third thing that it's not, forgiveness is not just saying the words, I forgive you. And we're guilty of that. Uh, I've been guilty of that. Because something more than lip service has to happen. It's something that happens in our heart. And that's what we're going to get into as we understand what forgiveness is. What is forgiveness? There's three more things. These are the, the pro side of it. Forgiveness is releasing my hope for a better past. Take that in. A lot of our inability to forgive stems from our always thinking about what could have been, what might have been, what should have been. But part of forgiveness is finally accepting this is what happened to me. That's if you, if you go to counseling, one of the first things your therapist will do is dig in the past and be like, hey, what have you not dealt with? We got to deal with it. This is what happened. And I can't change that. I wish I could change that, but I can't change that. And I'll never be able to change that. And so I need to release my hope for a better past because that's ridiculous. I don't have a time machine, so it's not going to happen. And from the movies I've seen, the time machine just makes things worse. So let's just release our hope for a better past because that is not God's, God's promises for a better future, hoping what's ahead. So we've got to release that. Now, we can't change the past. What do we do with it? What do we do with these people that keep popping into our mind in these instances? It's, I don't know. I don't know all the answers to that, but I want to give you some words from Jesus. This is what he suggests. Uh, this is in Matthew 5, 43 through 44. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Popular phrase that would go around back then, perhaps today. But verse 44 says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those persecute you. I'm about to tell you the most unpopular thing you're going to hear today. We need to pray for the people that hurt us. Ooh. Like, mm. <laughs> y'all got people popping in your mind right now? Yeah, me too. And you, but it's hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. It is hard to be angry at somebody that you're praying for daily. They may never change their ways. They may never apologize if you're hoping for that. Release your hope for a better past. It's not going to happen, maybe but you can pray for them. And this is Jesus' advice. And I love that he says, you know, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus' way is to say, listen, our goal is to step up and rise above that. And that's all I got for that right now. I mean, release our hope for a better past and, and pray for the people in our past. Because God's power is bigger than our power to make things right. And I have seen, I've witnessed with my own eyes in my own life that over time, God does things that we could never do on our own. Second is this, forgiveness is releasing my right 
to revenge. Mm. And uh, if you've ever driven in traffic where someone cut you off and you immediately gave them, you know, some sort of special salute or, you know, screamed it. I love it when we talk to people in other cars. Oh, yeah, good signal, buddy. It's like, they don't hear you. They don't hear you. It's not, what are you doing, you know? But, like, we need to release our right to revenge. The reality is I don't know that we really have that right. I don't know who gave us the right to revenge because we've done wrong in life, too. But if we would just say, you know what, it's not something I got to do right now. Let's look at a couple of more scripture. This is in Romans 12, 17. I recommend reading all of Romans 12. We just studied the whole book uh, a few months ago when we did through the book of Romans. But the Apostle Paul tells us this. We'll just look at a little segment of that. He says in uh, 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Okay? That's just a little segment I want you to look at. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I want to notice two things for this. First thing is this. God... The apostles, Jesus, everyone recognizes that what the people did was wrong, okay? No one's going to stand up here and say, no, it's fine. It's fine if they wrong you. It's fine if they hurt you. It's, no one's saying that. In fact, he calls it evil. But we also know that two wrongs don't make a right. Two evils don't make a righteous. And so if we stoop down to the level of evil, we're not actually helping the situation. It might make us feel good for about 10 seconds, Let's keep on reading. What do we do? In verse 19, Paul says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, come on, Jesus. Like, he says the most ridiculous stuff. Listen to this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. The last thing we want to do to the people who have hurt us is take care of them, but this is God's way. And he says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's the one little joy we can get out of it. Maybe, you know, maybe when they keep seeing how much good we're doing for them, maybe they'll feel bad about what they did. I don't think that's necessarily what Paul's trying to teach us here. I think it actually goes a lot deeper than that, but the the idea is, is this, listen, We've got to love and serve those who hurt us. I think about our friends, our brothers and sisters in India, and I've got good friends who are missionaries over there uh, who have had their families killed and murdered by extremists, radical, various religious groups. And the story I hear over and over again is when one member of a family is killed and the rest of the family goes to the people that killed them and love them, bring them food, help work on their houses. And what I'm hearing over and over and over again is number one, it really ticks those people off. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't you know we hate you? And number two, over and over, these people are learning about the love of Jesus and they're going, oh, wow, yeah, your way is better. And one life at a time, it's being changed because instead of repaying evil for evil, they're repaying evil with the love of God. Release your right to revenge. Now, here's the thing. This is not natural. It is not natural. You know how I know it's not natural? Get a bunch of hungry dogs, okay? You throw one bone in there, okay? And one dog has the bone. And then another dog comes and steals that bone from the first dog. And do you think that the first dog's gonna be like, you know what, I forgive you. Uh, you can just have that. No, what do they do? It's, it's like, it's bad, okay? It is not natural to forgive. It is not natural to release our right to revenge. 
It is not natural for us. That's why it doesn't feel right. And so God comes in and he expects us and he asks us to do something unnatural. And you know, every time God asks us to do something that's not natural for us, you know what he gives us? He gives us help that is supernatural. He says, listen, if you want me to, if you want to do this, I'm going to admit, you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. You need to lean into me. I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to help you do this. It takes supernatural help to do this unnatural thing. All right, so we want to release our hope for a better past. We want to release our right to revenge. And the third thing is this. This is most vital. Is that forgiveness is essential to God's healing process. It's not easy to forgive. It is possible. And when we allow God's love in our life to change us so that we can start to forgive, good things start happening. First of all, this this splinter in our skin can be removed and instead of there being infection and festering happening there where we were hurt and injured, finally we can begin to heal back to the state that God had created us to be in. Another thing can happen. This is crazy. Relationships can be restored. Not always, not always. Sometimes someone's just a jerk and there's just, you know, love them all you want to and feed them when they're hungry and quench their thirst when they're thirsty and all that stuff and they're just never going to come around because they just haven't got the heart to do it but you know what you hating them is not going to hurt them (laughs) it's just it's just burning up you and when we remove that it allows this healing to begin but here's what i've seen often is that relationships can be restored and can be healed and here's the thing i know that i said release your hope for a better past but you can hope for a better future if you have an estranged parent that you haven't spent time with, if you've had someone in your life who's really hurt you, if you had a, a neighbor or coworker who just damaged you in some way, you know what you can do? You can begin to pray for them. You can try your best to forgive them daily. You can talk to them about it and let them know that you're forgiving them if that is something that you can work out. And then as God begins to heal you, you can begin to pray, God, restore this relationship. It can happen. The last thing that I think can happen as this healing process begins is that you will begin to feel like you've been given another chance at life. Depending on how bad the hurt is, it maybe has held you down and kept you from moving forward. But if you can let that go and the healing begins, it's like, oh, I can breathe again. I did something earlier this year that uh, was way overdue, about 15 years overdue. I wrote a letter, a specific letter. Uh, There was someone who, I won't even go into the details, but in my early 20s, this person just really hurt me. Um, they, 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 did, they drug my name through the mud. They challenged my integrity. They, it, I, it was a lot. And it, was, it, it hurt me. It hurt me really bad. I actually didn't even realize how much it hurt me until uh, I would do teaching on forgiveness. And then it would come back in my mind like, man, I, I thought I forgave that person. <laughs> and I, I didn't. And it's not moving on. And um, so I wrote him a letter. It was pretty long. Uh, in the letter, I apologized for waiting so long to write them. I apologize for the letter being so long because you know how you are. You're like, I don't even know what to say to you. I recounted the things that had happened and I was very clear about how it hurt me and how I, I, and I even said, look, I realize you may not even know that this happened. Uh, We talked about it years ago, but you probably don't realize how much it affected me personally. Uh, I went on and on and and then I, I hit send. And I remember going, what did I just do? Like, what can of worm? Why can't you just leave the past in the past, Chris? Like, let it go. But I was like, I got to deal with this. Because it kept creeping up in my brain. 
And I was like, I just, I just want to try it, see if the stuff that I believe the Bible says is true and works. <laughs> so I just tried to release it, and I tried to let it go. And I don't know what I was expecting, but the next day I saw a, a, an email in my inbox. And I first saw I was like, oh, no, I don't want to open that, you know. But I opened it, and I was blown away. Uh, this person was so kind and so apologetic. And they said, yes, I, I do remember all of that. And uh, I didn't realize it affected you that way. And, and this was really cool. They said, your letter was actually a confirmation of something for me, that God has been working strongly in my life for the last 15 years. And God has changed me in the last 15 years. And when you told me the stories of what I did to you all those years ago, I, I can hardly believe the person I used to be. And I'm sorry, and I hope I can make it right, and I hope we can be friends. And Wow. Now, a couple of things have happened since then. First of all, immediately. I didn't even realize it, but there was like this weight, this crushing weight thing that was going on. It was just like, and I'll admit, I cried. Just a little. But there were tears because I was like, wow. The freedom from that. And then what's been crazy is that through social media, we've been able to stay in touch. They, their spouse uh, has developed really bad dementia and has a really bad situation going on there. And uh, I've been able to be there for that person and, and pray with them and for them and send them messages and, and they've responded back and uh, their kids are closer to my age and I've been able to rekindle some friendships with their kids and it's like, wow. Now, I don't know if that's how it will work out for everybody. In fact, I can tell you from other experiences that it isn't. But I'll tell you that when we understand forgiveness, it, help us, it helps us to understand who God is. Jesus' story about the king and the servant and the dude who owed all the money and the dude who owed a little bit of money and the other servant, like, that's a picture of who God is, that we owe him a huge debt, that he gave us life, that he gave us breath, that he gave us this world, and we sin against him, and we go against his will and against his wishes, and we fight tooth and claw against what he wants us to do for our life. We owe him a debt, and he says, listen, if you will just come to me, I will cancel that debt. And then guess what? We do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And he says, listen, just keep turning to me. Grace is sufficient, and it abounds. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that same lesson you learned from knowing me, and I want you to spread that to the world. Because if you can teach other people the, the, the nature and the character of God, they can know you, and they can know forgiveness, and you can share God with them through your forgiveness. It helps us to see the love of God and who he is. And by doing that, by bringing this upside down Jesus kind of love into the world, we can affect change in people's lives. If we can live this kind of upside down loving life that I believe Jesus teaches, we, we can actually understand one of the phrases that Maximus said in the movie, the clip I showed, that what we do in life echoes in eternity. Forgiveness is God's path to healing, and it's a great tool to share with the world as we live and fight the fight. Let's pray.